If you want to learn how to gain insights you can act on and solve business problems with data, all while building a data-driven culture at your organization, sign up for Pragmatic Institute's new course, Data Science for Business Leaders. Find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com data. Welcome to Data Chats, a podcast by Pragmatic Institute and the Data Incubator, where we tackle data topics and trends with experts, industry leaders, instructors, and alumni. I'm your host, Chris Richardson, and today I'm sitting down with Mino Iyer, VP of Data at Momentive AI, formerly SurveyMonkey. And Minal has over 20 years of experience building data and analytics platforms and driving enterprises to be insights-driven. She specializes in data literacy, data democratization, data monetization, and enterprise data and analytics strategy roadmaps. So a wealth of information. I can't wait to pick your brain. Minal, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm very happy to be here. Well, for our audience who may not be as familiar with your work, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your background and training and, uh, and where you are today, what you're up to today. Absolutely. So I have been in this space for about 23 years. I got into it by chance. I realized I had a passion for it and decided to continue my career in it. I've kind of explored different domains and industries as I believe that data problems are common across industries. It's just that, you know, different businesses look and have a little bit of different data problems. But, you know, once we define and or create the playbook, we essentially have an opportunity to help and fix that. So it has kind of been my goal and journey as I go across multiple organizations to see that how I can start enterprises truly understanding the value of data that exists within their organization and truly using it as an asset. Yeah. And what does that change look like over over your 20 years of experience? I'm curious uh, what are kind of like the major markers maybe from when you started looking into this space to to now? So I, I think, you know, whoever invented or coined that phrase like data is the new oil couldn't have been much more writer, if writer is a word, um, <laughs> you know. So I, I think that data has obviously evolved. So people did understand that, you know, data was needed, data was required, but it was looked at purely from a run the business kind of perspective for a very, very long time. It was just only much later that it actually evolved into, you know, so much more beyond just pure reporting. And, you know, what we could actually do with the data itself and what kind of insights we could derive out of it. And then not only insights, then how can we actually train that data to become more prescriptive for our organization and for us to be able to use this towards monetizing our data, you know, building innovations out of our data. And then, of course, optimizing a lot of what we have in terms of operational efficiencies itself. So, you know, people just started realizing that just off late and I see that evolution, you know, once it started, it just kind of took on like crazy. And now it's kind of spread across, you know, multiple industries in very, very varied fashions. But I, I see that being, you know, the biggest evolution around. Of course, you know, technology has also evolved very significantly based on that. So very excited to see, you know, all of these new tools kind of coming up in ways in which we can actually optimize a lot of the processes which we used to think were routine and expected to do as part of the data process so that we can actually focus on generating the value more than spending time on, you know, piping the data in or building reporting out. So um, the space is evolving as well as I can see. 
Yeah, and are there, you know, we could get into specific technologies, but I'm also curious about the trends in terms of what have you what have you been seeing that you're, you're maybe excited about or maybe you've already had a chance to use that you think will be a, a significant change from the way things were done earlier, say even five years ago? Uh, I, I see. So if you if you've read specifically about like how the modern data architectures look like, you know, you have seen that a lot of these processes. So again, you know, let's talk about our basic ETL. You know, just think about it, how traditionally that we would actually do ETL and to now how it has actually evolved with us having, you know, ingestion tools in place, which actually automate your connections to pretty much any source that you have in an automated and in a very efficient way than you having to actually write and pipe those. CDCs are taken care of more effectively. So, you know, you don't have to care and or worry about it. In some cases, these tools also provide the normalization that you're looking for in the data. So when you truly think about it, you don't even have to think about modeling the data in a specific way. The data just gets produced out to your end users in a much sooner fashion. So you can actually produce those outputs out to them and then focus on that second part of it is where you're generating value out of the data. So I, I think with this modern data architectures, we are seeing that you know evolution of the whole journey uh, of how data is actually brought into a platform and then eventually consumed that is kind of transforming and becoming much, much more automated and efficient than what it was about five years ago. Yeah. And what does that mean for, for a typical business or organization when you're thinking about, you know, generating value or insights, what does that, that automation actually do or how, how might we see the effects of that? So one is the organization becomes less resource constrained in terms of, you know, dependency of someone sitting and actually spending like three months building a specific integration out and that reduces to a couple of hours and or, you know, a week. So you see, obviously, your resources are then able to devote or dedicate their time to better pursuits. And then also you notice that the organizations also get go to market much sooner. So, you know, you're integrating or bringing a new platform within the organization and you want to bring and consume that data, marry it to your enterprise, the rest of your enterprise data. And traditionally, what it would have done is it would have been a big, large waterfall project trying to bring all of that in and then creating that end-to-end model. But with now what we have with these new tools and with these new architectures essentially gives us an opportunity to bring that in much sooner. And so, you know, we can start deriving the benefits of it much sooner. So if you have to act upon something and build a product and or an innovation based on this, you know, the organization can see those benefits sooner. And, you know, that may give us a little bit of an edge over, you know, our competitors. Yeah. And that's also, well, something I wanted to touch on is the competition, because it does seem like, you know, even if you go back to that metaphor of oil, right, there's a there's a competition for who can find the most, who can convert it as quickly as possible with the best technology. So when you're thinking about data and competing organizations that could potentially be buying the same products or using the same tools as you, how do you think about competition? That's a very good question, actually. So we obviously have to know and understand that, you know, we have great data leaders across multiple organizations. So I'm sure the competing competing organizations are thinking similarly in the best ways possible. Now, you know, you can bring data in, leave it within your warehouse and still not create value out of it. So there is so much that happens once the data comes in, right? So the effectiveness of what you can do with the data once it comes in and how easily and comfortably you can make that access available to your end users so that they can immediately benefit from it and then either create an innovation or a product or get an insight from it, which tells them, okay, this is the next step of what we need to do. 
the much sooner that we can do that, that's where you know we kind of get our edge over the other. So, for example, if my competitor competitor also gets the data in in a week, and I get it in in a week, but then I have my platform available, and you know I know we are going to talk about data democratization later. So I'll talk to you about the semantic or the business view layer, which kind of helps drive this kind of data sooner to the business and allows them to look at the data, analyze and pivot the data much, much more effectively and get to insights much sooner. I think that's the edge I believe, you know, we can have over our competition by building out, by building that out more effectively. So one is where you bring the data in and then, you know, just tell the user, okay, go ahead and use it. But then truly having built that end layer out, which they are exposed to in a way that makes it easy for them to look at that data and make sense out of it. I think that gives the edge. Yeah. And let's, let's jump into democratization. I'm sure, you know, people have heard of data democratization, but I don't necessarily know if there's an agreed upon understanding, especially for all of our listeners. I'm sure some people have more familiarity than others. So what is data democratization? And then how do you see that playing into a situation like you're describing? So when I think about data democratization, and I know most of the world basically thinks since we talk about democratization, they think about freedom of access, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not necessarily only freedom of data access. It is how comfortable that data is to access. The tools that you provide to get access to that data and then the culture you develop in terms of you know how the data truly should be used so that it actually can make sense for you so data literacy and data democratization goes so hand in hand because without that true data culture you cannot see the value of data democratization so you can provide the full data access mm -hmm. but without that full education of the organization you truly don't get the full value of what you're trying to actually go and build out yeah, and what are some of the the pros and cons, or or maybe to think of it another way, what are some of the potential flaws or issues you could run into when you're trying to work with data democratization? I wouldn't call. So one thing we of course run into is you know so obviously governance is a big part of it, security, privacy is a very very big part of it, and that is something that has to be taken into account. You know, as we build these data platforms out. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily call it as an issue. I would call it as a nice data challenge uh, to have as to how you can actually control the data that you have within the organization in a way that, you know, the integrity of that data is maintained and, you know, your end users still have the ability to be able to access the data as they want to look at it. So, you know, there are ways in which you can anonymize the data. There are ways in which you can tokenize the data and still provide that access and the usage for the end users. So, you know, there are, Yes, it is a little bit of a challenge doing that and then managing it and then still servicing all the needs and making sure, you know, we go to market as quickly as possible. But, you know, though there are solutions and there are ways to actually effectively manage that. So as a data leader, it's our responsibility also to be very, very cognizant of the fact that that access control is essentially something that we have to take very, very, we have to adhere to very strongly and we basically own that data and ensure that, you know, we manage that very, very securely. So for me, that has traditionally been the big challenge. The second one is that if you don't actually have executive sponsorship on the strategy that you build out, right? So you built an enterprise data strategy, but you haven't yet truly roadshowed it and you know publicized it across the organization and you don't have fully the support of the full organization, then the big challenge you can run into is essentially getting the, getting the adoption of once this platform basically starts getting built out. So 
again, big part of data democratization is also that culture and, you know, how you educate the organization and why this is the right way. And this is the right thing to, the right place to get your data from essentially. So there is a lot of that. So those primarily have been my larger and bigger challenges more than anything else. Yeah, I'm curious if you could go into that a little bit more, especially at a high level. What do we mean when we're talking about data strategy? So as VP of data at Momentive, what are some of the high level ways that you're approaching strategy or thinking about strategy? Absolutely. So the strategy is fun, is very, very key in terms of just overall what your three to five year vision looks like for data itself. So there is an end goal essentially that you are moving towards. Now, whether the end goal for the organization is that, you know, we we basically become an organization that can monetize data, we become an organization that truly can innovate from data, whether we become an organization where, you know, essentially we want to be able to take action on data and then see what the impact on that action essentially is and use it just within our application. It just depends on what that, you know, end goal or that end purpose is. And so essentially when you write or draw out your vision, you basically have that end goal in mind and you draw and say, okay, this is what my future state looks like, right? No, no holds barred in terms of, you know, what the investment is going to be, your budget is going to be, this is that pretty picture that I want to look at, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the end of, two to three years, and then you start working on an action plan. Now, there are certain levers that I typically have that I pull when I look at essentially, you know, when I look at my strategy itself. So the first and of course, most important one is technology. So when you look at technology, you have to understand that I have the right technology to drive me to where I need to go. Now, one thing organizations need to realize that technology can be an enabler but it cannot truly drive your data strategy. So just having technology doesn't say Mm. that, oh, yes, you know, this is what my data strategy looks like. And that is something that we have to be very, very good and careful about as we develop our technology strategy itself. So the first thing you do is basically enable your technology. The second is that you define what truly your data roadmap and your data strategy actually looks like. So this is in terms of, you know, what are the strategic priorities for the organization? So what are the first things that they are looking to get out of it? So it could be very possible that, you know, our business truly runs on the fact that uh, we are a very customer focused business, but we do not have a lot of customer intelligence within our business. So say that your first, you know, the first thing that you want to essentially attack is building out a whole customer 360. Um, for the customer and you have to understand as to, you know, what that customer 360 is going to look like and say that, okay, uh, this is the first point of thing that I'm actually going to look at, but I'm thinking about customer right now, but it is also possible that, you know, I'm only looking at one direction. How about if I pivot it and I want to look at it from a product standpoint as well. So, you know, do I need something like a product 360 to look at, you know, another, a certain other lens of what that is. So you kind of slowly think through all of this and, you know, you speak with your leadership and understand truly that whether from a data standpoint that you're thinking about this, right? So this is very, very key as you set your data roadmap, the analytic strategy, as we set on what I look at is the organization is the most effective when we make our business users very, very productive and our data analysts and our business users very productive. And how can we make them productive is that we reduce their dependence on us to do their things. So we should give them or we should empower them as much as possible 
in terms of providing you know self-service for the organization and so as i build my data and analytics strategy you know i build this view uh, or a semantic layer which essentially is a business view layer which helps provide the you know about 85 to 90 percent of the questions that the organization would like to ask it gives them the ability to ask those questions directly off of that layer and it's only the rest of the 10 percent which i think are a little more complex for them to do or you know things either them that may not be very easily possible is where they will come back to us so mm -hmm. how i can actually effectively remove that dependence on the data team and move that to the business function and then you know us working only on ensuring that the platform again provides that comfort tools and culture and access essentially to the team that is very important and then in my analytics strategy, I also build out as to, you know, how I would go ahead and build out a center of excellence hmm. within the team. Because once I move a lot of the function back to the business teams, you know, my team has a little more freer time. So what do they actually do? So they start building out. So we start building out or we start working basically on a center of excellence for the organization, which provides any sort of technology guidance. So this includes training, you know, upskilling our users, literacy for the organization, governance, ensuring that, you know, our strategy of how we are building our data out is always in alignment with what the business is actually wanting. So we are working on the most impactful stuff, making sure, you know, our platform is getting adopted by the organization so that, you know, we don't have issues with where people are getting data from multiple places. So when we think about center of excellence and data, we think about all of these essentially together. Then once we pull essentially that lever, then you focus on your team. So how do you empower your team? So there may be a need for, you know, you to either cross train and or upskill your team to make them most effective in what that new world is going to look like. So you need to one think about that as you start empowering the team itself. And then you start looking at, you know, what are the functions in which they spend their time a lot of their time. So you have to kind of do a full assessment uh, for your team and try to fully understand, you know, how they actually bucket their time and then how can you actually make them the most effective. So in that sense, you know, I create a strategy essentially for the team itself. Then we look at processes. What processes include is you understand how are the communication protocols between us and the business? How, are, how do we do prioritization processes? You know, how do we truly know that what we are working on is the right thing? So that sort of thing kind of slowly gets defined. How do we do, you know, how do we, we push products out? What kind of experimentation do we do? So do we test enough? Do we learn enough? How does that process look like? So we build essentially a strategy around process and see how that we can actually improve that process. The next thing is around metrics enablement. So how do I me enable metrics, right? So I have built all of this. I'm starting to build all of this. And how do I see that, you know, how it is most effective? So I create success metrics and then see how I can continually measure them and ensure that we are on the right journey and we are on the right path. And there is no harm, you know, if your metrics tell you otherwise and you have to kind of change your path a little bit and focus. So, you know, people should be okay with, you know, being able to kind of change that direction if necessary when they realize that you know something is not exactly working as they expected and which is you know business changes direction things change direction so it's okay to basically do that but it's a good idea to continually keep measuring it now metrics enablement also includes another component of it which is so important 
is within organizations we see that there is always inconsistency in definition of metrics so mm-hmm. you know as organizations look at metrics they realize that oh you know we have to you know i'm getting numbers these are the numbers from finance these are the numbers from marketing this is the number from sales none of these numbers match so how do i create so as a data team it's my responsibility to ensure that whatever i build out on my semantic and our metrics layer is that right definition of the metric and what the metric actually should be so within my metrics roadmap essentially that's what i kind of build out then the next thing is okay now we have the platform ready how do i now promote this to the broader organization so i create and build a literacy plan and how do we start influencing this culture and pushing this out to the rest of the organization then how do we start empowering the enterprise so you know we start providing data as a service analytics as a service we start building data and analytics products so how do we build out or how do we strategize around that so that includes you know where you get into data science and where you get into machine learning and then eventually ai if the use case calls for it for your organization and then once you have done that then you have given them all the tools to make them as impactful with the data as possible so now what you have to do is that how can you percolate that behavior across the rest of the organization so when i do data literacy i make them literate about the data mm-hmm. now we have to make them literate about how insights driven how can you make the organization insights driven as a literacy program so you know that's where you get the rest of the organization involved with whatever you are doing and then the culture of the organization becomes such that everything is driven through data and everything is driven through insights rather than you know i'm not saying gut feel will go away but you know rather than just focusing on gut you kind of you know go and prove everything through data itself so you change the mindset and you move the organization slowly towards innovation so when you start this journey essentially you know you take each of these levers you play around with them and you say okay each of these are going to be impacted in this 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 fashion and as you build your three year roadmap out you have a vision of what the end state for each of these look like and then you have your one year action plan or an 18 month action plan as to what the near term is going to look like as you slowly move towards that final vision hmm. i mean that's a great layout of anyone listening can can literally just start thinking about their strategy from what you've said so i really appreciate the the detail you've given there i wonder mm-hmm. are there you know like assuming that you have a great strategy laid out in a clear way like you've just said what in your experience are more likely setbacks or roadblocks that may occur like are there are there common things that you've seen more than once to to prevent something a strategy from happening the way you had hoped yep many of them actually unfortunately so one thing i realized is and i realized it thankfully early on so that i could actually shift the way i even did this presented the strategy itself is that the upper level executives get it and i have full alignment from them in terms of you know yes you we want you to go ahead with this mm-hmm. but when you get to the lower level that is management and mid management and below you realize that the bottom like those folks essentially for them all of this is very different right it creates mm-hmm. job insecurity it creates where you know they are like this has been working for so long why are you asking us to change this now mm-hmm. if we do this then 
this is what where we spend 70% of our day what are we going to do with the rest of the what are we going to do with all this time that we have now and what that causes is a lot and lot of pushback as we go and start implementing this so the one thing i learned over time is that you need to start looking for champions within the organization itself because you as a leader sometimes and i'm not saying we don't have the perspective it's just that we are not grassroots sometimes we are not able to truly articulate and tell them exactly how we are going to be able to address and fix and the best way to do that is essentially to get a champion and you find champions within the organizations typically you know they tend to be power users they tend to be you know extensive data users and you look for opportunities with them where you can showcase to them that something that they are working and on are doing right now could so easily be done by you know how you are telling them to go ahead and do it mm. and you make them the person who goes and champions your cause to you know their teams and to the rest of the organization and for most part that has that has worked out so i would say you know about 90% of the time it has worked out the 10% it didn't work out is that you know unfortunately my champion left and so i had to go and dig for find another champion and go back and revisit the project but for most part you know we have to understand that when we are solving for this we are actually solving for that organization who does the real work and not truly only for the executives and for people who look at that end state vision and say yes that's a very pretty picture so that is so key and so important to know and understand it was a learning that happened for me across time and you know it is something that i would i would encourage everyone to think about and look at as they build their strategy out yeah and so as you said there there can be issues in getting everyone to see the same picture and into and in some cases to upskill where you want to upskill I've heard a lot of people lately be talking about centers of excellence and I wonder how you use those most effectively. So centers of excellence okay um so within organizations they are used in in a little bit of different ways right so some organizations what they do is they create those center of excellences within their business units itself and those centers of excellence essentially what they do is someone within the organization for example if they want to they have something they want to know about sales and they they don't know how to get it out of the data system then they reach out to this center of excellence within sales itself and they basically get their answer for it right so now the center of excellence for sales essentially is still pulling out of this core data platform but the other team essentially is reaching out directly to these folks rather than reaching out to the data team itself so there are organizations where this is a very decentralized form of center of excellence but then there are organizations where the center of excellence resides within the data team itself so the business the data team itself has all the knowledge that is essential for the business and if they have things that they are not fully aware of or no then they reach out to the business teams get the answer and then they reach out back to these teams so um, not saying one is good versus the other i think both work very very effectively but the function of the charter of the center of excellence teams essentially is to basically ensure one is full adoption of the data itself as it is provided in the right fashion and in the right manner so they have to ensure that you know whatever gets produced out uh, of whatever they are producing is a validated and a governed data set rather than you know it just being something that they have just pulled in together so that is very very key and very important in terms of what they need to do second is that they have a very good understanding of the technology that is being used 
across the enterprise and within their teams itself. And of course, uh, I mentioned during my data democratization, you know, when I described it, tools is a very key part of it. And they are fully aware of all the different tools and use within the organization. And they know exactly how to provide guidance based on those specific tools itself. Third thing they provide is a lot of coaching and training. So, you know, coaching for either within their teams or within the broader organization itself, they provide essentially that coaching and training and, you know, they help the help it to kind of permeate within the organization itself. They also own like your best practices in terms of how to get to stuff. So, for example, you know, if we already have a validated set of data for our financial reporting, don't go back and recreate it. You know, we already have this. So, you know, mm. we can just pull out of this existing set. So they have a lot of that. So when you think about, uh, you know, the excellence, they they kind of have a full view and a full picture uh, of everything from a data standpoint that is happening within the organization. And they would be your the best bet to get answers to anything that you are looking for, essentially. Now, the intent is not for them to sit and produce reports and, you know, generate those kind of artifacts. Mm-hmm. Uh, they provide like they provide value in terms of just basic intelligence. And, you know, they kind of train the trainer and, you know, so the other people can become productive by themselves rather than them doing it. So that's not to say they won't build something, but it's, uh, you know, we kind of don't expect them to do that. Their, their intent is just pure in- education and guidance in how to best navigate the, navigate the data within the organization. At least that's how I have implemented it and that's how I have seen it work. Well, and for anyone who's listening who maybe doesn't at their organization have a center and is thinking about it, maybe they're a mid-level or maybe they're a growing organization, what would you encourage someone to think about like if they're if they're weighing the option of creating a center or taking a different approach? And then also in making that decision, how do you justify sort of costs versus benefits? Because I would imagine, you know, it takes time and effort away from other things that may seem more urgent at the time, but you can see the long-term benefits perhaps. How do you weigh whether or not you should be thinking of creating one or making a case to create one and then to make those arguments? Good question. So your center of excellence, and again, I'm talking about my experience specifically, Mm -hmm. my center of excellences have always been built out once we have gotten to the organization being primarily self-serve. So as I said, like when I say self-serve, 80 to 85% of the you know organization's questions get answered through my data platform and they don't necessarily need my team to sit and help them do it. So when we get to that point, you know, the workload on my team is no longer focused on building stuff out for the business, right? Because now the business is building their own outputs out. So, you know, my team is able to now focus on truly becoming the center of excellence and what I kind of defined as the charter of what the center of excellence does. So you need to get to a state within your organization and within your platform till before you can go ahead and start implementing a center of excellence. Mm -hmm. Now, if you truly want to get started till before then, I would say started by subject area. So it may happen that, you know, you may have attacked a separate a subject area and it has gotten to a point where for most part that is a very stable and a very you know already very well defined and taken care of subject area you have everything in place and you may not have to invest too much in that subject area specifically so you can start with being you know starting a small center of excellence for that specific subject area rather than across your whole platform 
and then you know as it works you start understanding as to you know what's the best way and how effectively it is working and then start using that as a playbook to apply through the rest of your subject areas and then get through your whole platform but my preference would be that you know get to a state of where for most part your self service so that you know you can truly build this function out in the way it can be most effectively used but that's again in my opinion and in my experience that's how i have implemented it sure and when you're trying to make that case to maybe the c suite that you should either hire more or you should take people off of certain tasks that they're doing in order to work within the center what are the the costs and benefits that you could think of because i could just imagine like unless I'm, unless i'm misunderstanding it you're not necessarily creating value immediately or like you're not doing something with the center that would immediately generate returns but it's still a you know really valuable overall thing because it will it'll help in so many ways but if somebody's looking at costs versus benefits how do you make that case absolutely so you would be surprised but we never have had to hire new people to manage the center of excellence it's within our current workforce right so as the work goes back to the business teams for the most part as i said there's a lot of bandwidth that you find now so mm-hmm. beyond managing and keeping the platform as sane as possible you know there is time and uh, bandwidth that you know we identify so i have never had to hire someone like to just come in just for this so from a resource standpoint i haven't had to i haven't had to hire now one thing i have had to do in terms of an investment is training and upskilling because mm-hmm. there is cross training required and there is training essentially required but if you make that if you make training as part of your the regular things that you do with your data teams itself then it just becomes almost like a second nature thing rather than you know an investment that you're making at fully at one point for a specific reason so cross training and upskilling is something that i encourage you know throughout my teams work rather than you know waiting for my center of excellence to be created to train them up so even that doesn't require like you know a magical investment at the end of it but you can manage it that way so so that's again something i learned uh, in terms of cross training so everyone on my team is always cross trained to do end to end so you're almost like a full stack and you know you're not always dedicated to just one thing so in effect you know you automatically increase the bandwidth and the, the resources of your team Hmm. and you can do so much more with just what you have because every organization is always strapped for cash and data organizations more than most you know unless you're in a super super large company you know which has a lot of money to give every organization struggles with bandwidth and every organization struggles with resources mm-hmm. so you know if you very you if you can optimize your resources by training everyone to do everything and you can kind of manage your workload to see you know where the balance is sometimes you know there is a lot of the balance shifts more in terms of you know it's more data pipelining than it is in bi and sometimes it is more in bi than in data pipelining and you can kind of shift the folks accordingly and you know kind of move them across so it can be very very effectively done i have done it in all my organizations and you know i have never had to go and like ask for resources unless very very essential or if someone was leaving Hmm. Well, that's good to know. I mean, I'm glad that you've had that kind of experience and it seems like it's it's a fairly easy case to make it when you when you do it like you you've just done. So, it seems 
if the situation calls for it, like a no-brainer, this would be a, this would be a valuable thing to have within an organization. And I'm I'm curious, related to that, you you spoke about data literacy, making sure that everybody is is kind of familiar with the data that's available and able to use it to its full effect. But at the same time, I know that there are considerations like privacy and personally identifiable information and these kinds of things where you probably don't want everybody accessing all the data, even if they know that it exists. And I wonder Mm -hmm. how you kind of balance that. So I can see on one level, thinking of data democracy as at least within an organization, everyone knows where the data is, can access it, all that kind of stuff, which is great. But on the other hand, yeah, you don't want certain people, I would imagine, accessing all the data or manipulating it in certain ways. So how do you kind of weigh those pros and cons of, of sharing data, but also maintaining privacy and confidentiality and these kinds of concerns? Awesome. So, uh, you know, like PII information, if you look to see the use cases for using that data are very limited. You don't necessarily need to know, right? One is either for marketing purposes or maybe, you know, fraud and risk needs it or HR needs it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But beyond that, you know, no one actually needs to know the customer's personal information at all. So, you know, when we think about access control and access management, and again, access control is a big part of data literacy as well, is, you know, you educate the organization that if you truly need the data, then you make a use case for it. And, you know, then you will be provided access to it. And how we kind of manage that is through views. You only provide the views of what data is actually essential for the user who is accessing the platform. And you can easily manage that through like a role-based access. So for everyone else, you know, all of that data shows up as masked and or encrypted. And only if you have that very special role where you are allowed to see the data, then you get access to the data. So then that works and you define that on your database platform itself, rather than either on your reporting tool or elsewhere so that, you know, it's managed at the data layer itself and not, uh, you don't have to go and apply to every reporting tool that anyone uses. So we have traditionally kind of managed that. Now, one thing which we have to do, so given, you know, with CCPA and GDPR and everything, Mm -hmm. the way you build out your customer and how you manage your customer information becomes also all the more important because, you know, based on CCPA, a customer can come in and say, you know, delete all my information that you have within the organization itself. And you have to make sure that you know, you are able to kind of delete that without compromising the rest of your data uh, and ensuring, you know, that the rest of your data stays intact. So, you know, as end users or as your listeners basically start building out, you know, tell them to keep in mind in terms of the fact that, okay, how do I best build this out so that, and how do I manage access control based on the fact that I am going to get queries about CCPA, which is going to require me either to modify and or delete customer level information itself and how do I do notification and how do I ensure that nothing else kind of breaks along with that. So it is easy. Uh, You can also tokenize your data. So, you know, you don't have a true customer associated and you can Mm -hmm. associate every customer with just an ID and people never have to know who that customer is because you know, if you look at segmentation or if you look at uh, any kind of, you know, persona definitions of customer, you basically are looking to just look at clusters of customer rather than a customer as an individual. And even if you want to assign that individual customer a specific segment, you can assign it, but no one needs to know exactly who that customer is. Uh, And you can do it programmatically without someone having access to the customer directly. So, you know, a lot of ways in which we can kind of manage and maintain the privacy 
and maintain the privacy of the customer or the integrity for the customer itself and still you know continue to be productive for the business yeah, and with all these, with all the laws and the sort of changing landscape of how people are viewing data and privacy internationally, it can be a lot. And so I'm sure you and your team are well versed in GDPR, for example, and, and these kinds of things that you need to follow. But it's also not something you would necessarily want your marketing team or, or whomever spending all of their time learning about the laws or the policies. Are there rules of thumb that you tend to teach or think about when you're doing? data literacy for people who are not the ones specifically working like in the in the data teams but who are going to use data are there strategies you tell those people who you know if they're a product manager or, or someone in marketing that's interested in data but they're not the ones necessarily manipulating the data what yeah. do you tell them to do or to think about so we think we tell them about the fact so at least at a very high level they need to understand what what the laws of the land are in terms of customer itself, right? And that is very key for them to know. And we advise them. So in as part of the data literacy, the education is more around that if they need access to that data, then what is the way to get it? And that, data, that way is not simple, right? You have to truly define the use case. It has to obviously get signed up by, you know, someone VP and above. And it has, of course, to be approved by our privacy officers to say that, yes, this is data that they can actually access and this is a valid use case that we want to use it for because if they don't otherwise, if they use it otherwise, then, you know, we are in kind of violation. So, yeah. you know, we, that is the kind of education that we give and provide to them and we help them understand as to why it is essential that we keep it that way, just so that, you know, we can manage and continue to still have the data access democratized you know, in a very reasonable way and not have it in any other fashion. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what we teach them in, you know, as we go through the data literacy program itself, it's a very important conversation to have, but, you know, no rule of thumb beyond just telling them what it is and without getting too much into the nuance of it, but, you know, just telling them that this is the only way that you are going to actually get access to it is if you follow this process but have a defined process and you know educate them about it i think that's the best way to do it yeah and it makes me think of what you said earlier about how the faster you can sort of process data and find actionable insights the better that you can face off against competition and yet if you are you know kind of putting these layers in between to as you should as you mentioned to make sure that user data is not being used in ways that it shouldn't be and that use cases are well defined that seems like that could slow down the use of or the access to I, I don't think so like if you think about it right so as i said we have uh, your very defined use cases and where you truly need customer pii information right because that's the most sensitive data and that's where everyone starts challenging us so if you think about it marketing for marketing purposes sales maybe because you know they have to sell the product itself you have hr HR may need access to information if employees are part of the customer group. And then you may need for fraud and risk, finance, fraud and risk. But if you look, those use cases are very, very specific. Hmm. And for everyone else, you can just use the data in its aggregated or in this unidentified customer form. You don't actually need the that information at all. Like I don't see needs beyond that where you know you need that exact information so i don't believe in any way does it you know contribute to us not going to market faster just because you don't have access to a specific individual's you know full information so that hasn't been an issue 
as so far as I know, we have been able to do because you know you as long as you're not able to uniquely identify an individual through his or her own personal information, mm-hmm. you know you're basically good. So you still have, can have like a city state zip. You can still have you know you can still keep the age as long as you're not able to uniquely identify the age and say that it's associated with this customer. You can use gender. So if you have all of these other attributes of the customer, you can still do all your analytics possible still provide the best uh, outcomes for your customer in terms of personalization that you want and then you know we can always associate scores or you can associate segments or anything to a specific id or a customer and then when marketing needs it we can just tell them okay this is how we got it so they never need to know that this customer was 53 years old and this one all they will know is that this was the segment that the customer got associated with. This was the persona that the customer got associated with. Mm. Um, but then they never understand what the underlying part of it. So you can still you can still maintain the integrity and you can still do everything that you want to do, you know, with this, this process in place. And, you know, the process works once and then you go every year and kind of revisit it and see that still that basically it applies. But uh, I haven't found anyone complaining much about that specifically, where it actually reduces productivity itself. But yes, you have to make sure, again, education of it is so important, right? And then having a process where they very clearly know as to what they need to do to get access to something. So if we do that effectively, I believe that you know we can reduce that pain point for the end users for sure. Yeah, well, that sounds very promising, especially to people who might be hesitant or who might worry about that. What you've just laid out, you know, is really is really good to know that you can both be quick and actionable, but also following the rules as as we should be. So it seems like, I mean, it seems like you have a great strategy laid out, and then when that's executed well, you can be fast and do everything ethically and and within the rules. So, I mean, that that's definitely I think what most listeners would strive for, and as they've been listening today. There's lots to go on. I'm sure people are, or if you know, they've been listening to this and they're in related fields, they'll be taking notes and have lots of action items. What would you encourage people to do who are listening, who want to just start today or within the next 24 hours, make some significant impact in how they're thinking about data, democratization at their organizations? What's, what are one or two things that they could be doing today to have an impact? So the first thing I would tell them is, define what data democratization truly means to you. So for me, as I told you, it means comfort tools and access for users, right? So if I'm able to kind of get all of that in a very clear way, then, you know, for me, it is like, yes, the data is democratized in the right way and the business can actually make use of it. So from their standpoint, they truly have to define for their organization what data democratization means. So Healthcare obviously has its own privacy stipulation, so they have to think about democratization very differently than probably retail or probably a financial services industry. So each person has to go in and make sure that they very clearly understand how they think about data democratization for themselves. The second is, and it's something I mentioned earlier as well, technology is an enabler it cannot drive your data strategy. So don't just assume that just because you have all the technology in place that you have a firm data strategy. So it can help you optimize, it can help you become efficient, but it cannot drive your strategy. The business strategy essentially helps drive or dictate your data strategy as well. So you have to be very clear and fully understand what the organizational goals and strategy are in order to dictate and define how your data strategy is going to evolve. 
across time. So if you ask me, those are the two key things that we should know and or understand before we start developing our strategy itself. I do have an article that I have written on data democratization itself, you know, on my blog, it's called the datawall.medium.com. And, you know, do go ahead and check it out. I have put a blurb about the semantic layer as well. So, you know, added checklists for both of them. So if it's convenient, you know, you all can at least know which are the boxes essentially that we all have each checked out. And then, you know, what is there that is still needed to work on. I'm working on the next blog for, you know, how to build out a strategy itself. So that should be hopefully coming soon. Perfect. And that's what I was going to ask you about as well. So there's the Medium uh, page that we'll link to in our notes. How else, if people are looking to potentially contact you or just follow you, where would you where would they check out? Yeah, so I think LinkedIn is probably the best uh, bet in terms of, you know, how they can actually reach out to me. So I would I would probably just put a link to my LinkedIn as well. And that's there on my on my Medium blog as well. Perfect. So. Well, you know, it's been great talking to you and thinking about data strategies. I really do appreciate the time that you've you've taken and the insights you've given. Yeah, is there anything else that you want people to be thinking about or looking out for as they start to more fully flesh out their ideas around data and democracy? So first of all, thank you so much, Chris, for inviting me on this. I absolutely enjoyed the conversation and all the questions you had. All I want to tell folks is that, and I'm not trying to say it's easy, it's all possible, okay? You will find a way to basically get your strategy done and to, you know, to get to your vision of what you want uh, in a data strategy itself. In some cases, you really have to do some out of the box and creative thinking as to how it's going to work for your organization. But, oh my God, it's absolutely doable. So I, I just wish everyone the best and please do feel free to reach out if you have questions about very specific areas of the strategy that, you know, I can help and or assist with. Was excellent and inspiring advice. I thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much.